Hello there, and welcome to Erica's Ghost Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and today we are venturing over to a familiar place for me, Vancouver Island and Seattle area, home to so many ghosts and their tales that haunt us. But this tale in particular really stuck out for me. The Valencia Phantom Ship is a tragic story about a ship who accidentally missed its turn and came face to face with one of the deadliest cliff around. The tragedy claimed 136 lives. Only 33 survivors from what is now called the Graveyard of the Pacific. Please visit my Instagram page at Erica's Ghost Stories podcast and follow along with the photos I posted for this episode. Did you know the west coast of Canada has its very own ghost ship story? Its very own tragic version of the Titanic? Me neither. Here is the story of the Valencia Phantom Ship. On January 22nd of 1906, the Valencia steamship set off from San Francisco to Seattle, a very common route for most ships who traveled in this area. The ship had a history of carrying cargo, troops, and passengers. Then it was sold and used as a second-class passenger ship, going to and from San Francisco and Seattle. The step-in captain... Captain Johnson was unfamiliar with the route. Nighttime came quick and a storm rolled in, making it visibly hard to see ahead, and it was difficult to have access to celestial navigation. Now, to get to Seattle, the ship has to make a sharp right turn near Vancouver Island into the opening of the Strait of Wanda Fuca. Between the Canadian and American border. Missing the sight of land because of the strong winds and the storm and the currents were really strong. There were, again, little to no visibility. And this was just after midnight. Captain Johnson missed the turn of the Strait of Juan de Fuca. The Valencia hit reef 11 miles off of the Cape Beal on Vancouver Island. Right after the collision, the ship was hit a second time, and this time it did severe damage to the hull of the boat. Water started pouring in, people started panicking, the shores, aggressive waves clashing onto the very, very high rocks made it hard for anyone to know what to do. The passengers scurried for their lives to their lifeboats, even if they were not properly inflated or ready to go down. Yes, they were lowered down against the captain's orders. All seven of the lifeboats were improperly loaded into the water. Depicted a horrible, chaotic scene where passengers panicked for survival. Three of the lifeboats flipped while being lowered, leaving the passengers falling into the deadly waters. 
two of the lifeboats flipped after being lowered into the waters, leaving them capsized. Two men from the capsized lifeboat swam the cold waters to seek rescue near the bottom of the rocks, but were brutally smashed in between the waves and the cliff, and the last lifeboat disappeared. About 60 people died during the efforts of lowering these seven lifeboats. Two lifeboats managed to get away, with nine survivors on them, one with two passengers and the other with seven on it, whom waited in a safer area about a mile away for the morning to come. Once morning came, they decided to hike on up, Um, and they found a telegraph station about two and a half hours away, and they right away contacted Bamfield. That same morning, but on the ship, another lifeboat launched with six people on it who rowed until they found a safe spot, which they eventually did. They found a lighthouse on uh, Cape Beale uh, at uh, Pachina Bay. Ships were sent to rescue from Victoria, from Seattle, but they would not get to the survivors until the next morning. The survivors had no food, no clothes, barely anything to hang on to, and some were still on this ship, and some of them obviously on the lifeboats. So when they saw the Queen, a similar boat, of the Valencia owned by the same company, the survivors were given so much hope. But the captain of the Queen decided it was too dangerous to come near or to launch a lifeboat to try and save them. Two other ships, the Tsar, which is a tugboat, and the city of Topeka, came to their rescue. The Tsar made the decision to turn back without sight of any survivors. And the city of Topeka went closer, but also decided not to launch lifeboats due to the rough waters that they had at the moment. Though, at this point, the city of Topeka decided to stay close just in case. Survivors were indeed on board of the Valencia. They were on two lifeboats miles away and some were at the lighthouse at Pachina Bay. On the Valencia, two out of three rafts got launched uh, with men who were crew members only as none of the survivors uh, that were women wanted to board them in fear that they would just not make it. Um, At this point, you know, the chaos has been going for a couple of days and you know, survival might not be in sight for them. So one of the rafts made it to a point where the city of Topeka saw it. And once the city of Topeka saw them, they for sure launched their lifeboats and saved all 18 of them that were on the raft. The second raft was not so lucky. It got swept away And this raft had four people on it, but it was only later on that they got rescued from an island nearby. A rescue group finally came through on land, only to find the horrific scene 
of the Valencia crumbling apart, taking its last survivors with her. Women and children screaming for their last breath as the Valencia shattered into the rough waters below. The rescue group did not stay to watch this horror and instead turned around and left. They were later criticized for not lowering ropes or attempting to help the poor survivors off of the boat. A lot of people called these attempts at rescuing pathetic and shameful, and it only made the story worse. The Americans and the Canadians both launched their own investigations following the incident. It was a little odd that the passengers from the Tsar, the Canadian tugboat, claimed they didn't see the people clinging on to the Valencia. Upon further investigation, Captain Cousins of the Tsar, along with other passengers from the rescue mission, testified and said that they did not see the Valencia at all, nor the people clinging on to it. What was painfully obvious was that the queen, who was further away, could in fact see the screaming survivors hanging on to their lives. The crew members of the Tsar all testified that the boat was too low in the waters to see. Now the American side of the investigation asked why they didn't launch a tugboat and that ultimately there was a mystery here that will never fully be comprehended. The Commission of Inquiry took the testimonies from the Tsar as truth, but concluded that there was contradicting evidence. Something else that is odd, the foghorn factor. Back in the 1880s, there were thousands of dollars spent on foghorns installed in this area, all over this area, for indeed the purpose of awareness of land. These foghorns, they can be heard from 13 kilometers away. Plus, there was a lighthouse that should have been on and working just around the opening of the Strait of Juan de Fuca. So we are wondering why these foghorns weren't heard. Well, the Museum Society in 1929, of course, after the fact, um, prove that the positioning of the foghorns created, quote, silent zones. Yes, areas you just can't hear the foghorns. And the Valencia ship was indeed in a silent zone when the tragedy struck. Out of 173 registered passengers and crew members, 37 survived. About 20 of those were crew members, and the rest were passengers. The survivors were all men. They came from four different outcomes, these 37 survivors, or these survivors. Some say it's 33, so some have different numbers, but in the 30s, we've got 18 saved by the city of Topeka from the raft. We've got four from the second raft that floated onto shore of an island nearby. Six survived on the workboats who made it to the lighthouse. 
and nine survivors from the two lifeboats that made it to shore and got to the telegram stations. You can only imagine the tragedy and the chaos that happened within days. And we have a sense that they were alone, in the dark, scared, cold, on the brink of survival. For weeks and weeks after, there were bodies found. Some were returned to Seattle. Some were buried in the Ross Bay Cemetery. Among those, eight unidentified graves. In the same year, 1906, a Nocha man named Klenwa Tom discovered and reported a lifeboat full of skeletons in a cave about 180 meters from the Valencia shipwreck. People questioned Klainwa Tom because this cave was about 17 meters high and 61 meters deep, but it was impossible to get into because Klainwa Tom had to leave his canoe, climb over a very large boulder, and swim to find the lifeboat with eight lifeless bodies inside. How the hell did a lifeboat get over this boulder? There were so many questions here, but ultimately, if the tides were high enough, there was a possibility that the lifeboat got over the boulder and then got stuck in the cave. Oof. After the tragedy, more lighthouses went up in the area and more telegram stations too, obviously. But the graveyard of the Pacific is a scary area, taking hundreds of lives and ships. But this story right here tops them all. And now for the ghost stories. All right, well, first off, a few people from Seattle claim to have had premonitions about the wreck prior to the incident. Hmm. Secondly, those who were on the city of Topeka ship retold stories that while they were on the rescue mission towards the Valencia, they let another ship pass by, and they swear to God, it could have been seen clearly, and it was the exact same shape as the Valencia. A ghost ship, perhaps? Third, in 1910, so four years after, a ghost story emerged in the Seattle Daily, headlining with, Have you seen the phantom ship? Ghost of the lost Valencia sails again and again upon the rocks where more than a hundred souls met their doom. Which was a sensational and very popular article that detailed multiple accounts by sailors claiming that they have seen the Valencia as a phantom ship off the deadly and dangerous coast of Vancouver Island. Some sailors said they could see it in the faint distance, stationary. Some tell of a more gruesome apparition, replaying the horrors of the ship in shambles, having its passengers clinging to the side for their dear lives. 
a fourth story of fishermen in the area that all claim to have seen life the lifeboat swimming around and it was weird and they thought maybe it was the one from the cave. A fifth story, a mysterious event transpired 27 years after the disaster. In 1933, a lifeboat from the Valencia was discovered by Captain McFarlane and it was alongside the island where the four men were rescued from. So Captain McFarlane knew it was from the Valencia because it had a nameplate um, on it, which he later took and donated to the Maritime Museum in Victoria in the 50s. So we know there was a lifeboat 27 years later. Weird. There were rumors that the boat was in good shape, but Captain uh, McFarland's grandson uh, retold the story in a book he wrote called The Valencia Tragedy and said that the boat was actually in rough shape when his grandfather found it. What's weird about it is how it stood floating for so long. The elements of rain didn't make sense. The only conclusions were that either someone was using it to fish mostly unlikely, or that it was the lifeboat that was in the cave and got out when the tides were high enough. Hmm. Both very odd conclusions for it being 27 years later, I mean. Ooh. On foggy nights, the Valencia is heard howling and whistling at a distance with some apparitions of the tragic event. That ghost ship story really filled my cup. I hope you enjoyed it. The Canadian Titanic, our very own Titanic, and our very own West Coast ghost ship. A tragedy that still leaves an incredible imprint. I pulled some information from different news articles and websites. Um, some have the numbers of survivors and passengers and deaths that are just like a few counts off or different. Obviously, many people have re-encountered the Canadian Titanic, aka the Valencia Phantom Ship, since it was a hundred years ago. Another one taken by the Graveyard of the Pacific. Please check out my Instagram, at Erica's Ghost Stories, for all the visual aspects of this story and other episodes, of course. I added photos of this story. I would like to now thank my Patreons who have been super supportive. First off, Mila. Thanks, Mila. Emma, you're the best. Love you. Scott, thanks so much, Scott. Kanisha, love you, babe. And a new member to the Ghost Story family, Emily, my fiance, who decided to join the Ghost Story family. Thank you, Emily. And I hope you enjoyed yourself. I'm your host, Erica, and until next time.